Hello, this is Gary Hutchins with the Sunny Slope Church of Christ in Omaha, Nebraska. This is our Sunday morning Bible class. Welcome. It's good to be able to be with those who want to study God's Word, who want to be in a Bible class kind of setting and study, uh, but they may not be able to be with us in person right here at the Sunny Slope Church of Christ. Now, our Bible classes begin each Sunday morning at 9.30, followed by worship at 10.30, and then Sunday evenings we come back together at 6 o'clock for another uh, period of worship and Bible study. And then on Wednesday evenings, we come back at 6.30 each Wednesday evening for midweek Bible classes. Now, if you're in the Omaha area, we encourage you to come, be, come and be with us in person. You're welcome. Get to know us. Let us get to know you. Study God's Word with us. Grow spiritually with us and worship God with us. But now we know that there are people even in the Omaha area who cannot be with us at the prescribed, uh, the prescribed time on Sunday mornings, and we're thankful to be able to be with you through the means of these podcasts over the internet so that you can still study God's Word as you have the time, as your time you know, schedule opens up. We know that people are listening also across the country and literally around the world, and they want to be in God's Word. They want to study. They want to, they want to hear more teaching. And so again, we're thankful that we can be with you. Now we encourage you to go to our website at churchofchrist.com, churchofchrist.com, and click on the podcast button and sign up for our podcasting. When you do that, you will automatically receive to your smartphone or computer or whatever smart device you choose, a great deal of Bible study material, a great deal of teaching on a daily basis, every single day. So take advantage of that and grow spiritually. And it's important for our faith because faith comes by hearing the Word of God, Romans 10 and verse 17. We also encourage you to tell everybody you can about these studies and share these studies with everybody you can through Facebook friends, text messages, and other text, uh, other technical uh, means. But also tell other people about our website at churchofchrist.com. Now, we're going to get back into our study. We're in the book of Judges. We have gone through a great deal of the early Old Testament material. We've gone in detail, chapter by chapter, through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and Joshua. And now we are in the early chapters of Judges. In fact, we're going to be looking at chapter 2 today. When we go through Genesis, basically you look at the creation account in the first two chapters. You look at the fall of man into sin in chapter 3. The consequences thereof ultimately resulting in the flood in Noah's day through which God cleansed the, the world of evil with the exception of Noah and his family. Noah, and his, Noah was found righteous before God. And so there's where the ark came in. Then in chapter 12 of Genesis, you see God choosing a man, Abram, as he was called at that time, later to have his name changed to Abraham by God. And through Abraham's bloodline, God would raise up the nation of Israel. In Exodus, we find that nation has grown into a mighty population, probably one to three million in number. And God chooses Moses to lead them to a land that he promised to them through his forefathers going all the way back to Abraham. 
And so Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, they're traveling to that promised land. Now, they're spending 40 years approximately getting there, ultimately ready to cross the Jordan River into that land and begin to possess it for their own by God's instructions and blessings because they had a whole lot of weak faith along the way. And so God would not let the adult generations that Moses led out of, is, out of Egypt into that land. He caused the people to piddle around in the wilderness for about 40 years until the, the entire adult generations basically died off. And the younger generations came up to be the adult generations, and God led them into the promised land. When we look at Joshua, Joshua was Joshua was was that book that covered the conquest of the land. But now as we saw in the first chapter of Judges which follows Joshua, they stopped short of completely conquering the land. Now maybe I should use a different word than conquering right there. They put the land under their subjection. That is, the Israelite people did. And, but God's instruction was to either destroy all the people who had lived in that land when he led Joshua to lead the people into the promised land and begin the battles of conquest. God, God said to the people for years and years now, I want you to drive those people who are in the land, I want you to either drive them out or destroy them. Have not have no relationships with them because they are ungodly. They are idol worshipers. And if you start developing relationships with them and particularly intermarrying with them, they're going to be an influence to lead you away from me and lead you into the worship of their idols and an idol is nothing. Well, so when Joshua led the Israelites into the promised land, God gave them the victories in battle after battle after battle after battle. But ultimately, Joshua, and think about how old he was when they left Egypt, and then wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years on top of that, and then he has been in the promised land and leading the warriors of Israel into battle after battle after battle after battle. And so you ultimately come to the point where he, he tells the people, I'm, I'm, I'm old. And so he steps aside. And so when, as we noticed in verses 27 through the end of chapter 1 of Judges, the conquest of the promised land by the Israelites was incomplete. Now, they, they put the land under their, their control, but they allowed some of the inhabitants of that land to remain in that land. Now, they had driven out most of them. They had, they had either driven them out or destroyed them, and even destroyed a number of their cities. But they allowed some to stay, and that was a big, mis a big mistake, because just as God had warned them 
would happen, it did happen. It did happen. Now, again, they controlled the land. The peoples who they allowed to stay in there, they put under their subjection. And they, to one degree or another, served the Israelites. But as time passed, they had more and more influence over the Israelites, and the Israelites became more and more an idol-worshiping people, and thereby unfaithful to God. Now, here's the amazing and tragic account of the change in Judges chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. Then the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochim and said, I led you up from Egypt and brought you to the land of which I swore to your fathers, and I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Now, there are some people who call themselves Christians. In fact, a whole lot of people who call themselves Christians who I believe have misunderstood and misapplied statements like this to the point that they believe that somehow Israel is still God's chosen people. When God, when the angel of God comes to the people here in verse 1 of chapter 2 and says, I led you up from Egypt and brought you to the land of which I swore to your fathers, and I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land. You shall tear down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? God's promises to Israel were always contingent upon their continued faithfulness to him. And here the angel of the Lord is confronting the people of Israel with the reality that they have not stayed truly faithful to God. They did not follow through completely with his instructions to drive out those idol-worshiping peoples of the land that God had promised to them. They had not completely followed through with tearing down all of those altars to those idols. And here they're being confronted by the angel of the Lord. Why have you done this? Therefore, I also said, I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall be thorns in your side, and their gods shall be a snare to you. Now, when Israel stopped short of being completely faithful to God's instructions, his commandments, God says, I'm not going to drive out those people. You're not fighting the battles anymore. You're allowing them to stay. And let me tell you, their gods, those idols, just as I warned you back before you ever crossed the river into this land, before you ever fought the first battle, those idols, those idol-worshiping people, are going to be a snare to you. They're going to be a problem for you as far as your continued faithfulness to me and service to me is concerned.
and dedication to me. Verse 4, so it was when the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the children of Israel that the people lifted up their voices and wept. So you would think, okay, they wept. They got the message. They're repenting. Well, let's see. They called the name of that place Bolchem, Bolchem, which means weeping, literally, and they sacrificed, therefore, to the Lord. So they went through an act of worship. And again, you would think, okay, that means, that means they, they repented. Verse 6 goes on and says, When Joshua had dismissed the people, the children of Israel went each to his own inheritance to possess the land. Now remember, as they fought those battles, they were one people. They were united together. They fought those battles together. As, a, as, as one unit. Now, Joshua has died, and now they're going to their individual inheritances as tribes within the nation of Israel. Verse 7, so the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. Okay, so they stayed faithful to God while Joshua lived. And they even stayed faithful to God while the elders who outlived Joshua, okay, the next generation, while they were still alive. So what are we talking about here? Within about one generation, and by generation we're not talking about 100 years. That's only one understanding of what a generation is. We're talking about a generation of lifespan. So we're talking generally around 30 years or so, 30, 40, maybe 50 years. Within that short period of time, they became unfaithful to God. Now, did they still believe in God? Oh, sure they did. Did they still go through some actions of worship to God? Yes. But you see, they mixed worship, belief in God with belief in idols. They mixed worship before God with worship to idols. And that simply does not work. Again, an idol is nothing. It's an inanimate object. It's a carving. It's a, it's a sculpture out of stone or wood or metal. It's nothing. There is one God and only one God. And they knew that. But the more they allowed those idol-worshiping people to stay in their land and worship those idols before the people of God, the Israelites, the more used to being around those idols became, and the more those idol-worshiping people had an influence upon them. And this was exactly what God warned them about and commanded them to not allow to happen. But they did allow it to happen. Now again, you think about the fickleness of humanity, the wishy-washiness when it comes to our absolute dedication to God is what we're really studying about here. 
But when you think about the different directions of dedication and commitment to principles, especially godly principles, we see the fickleness, the wishy-washiness of humanity on an ongoing basis. All we have to do is think back in our history of our nation and our culture, not hundreds of years, a decade or two or three. We're only talking about 10, 20, 30 years or so. In some cases, 40 years. And what things that were considered ungodly in those times, now we think they're godly. At least that's what we're being told. Or at least we're being told that they're, they're righteous, they're normal. A whole lot of people who are telling us these things are people who probably don't really think that much about God to begin with, but they're telling us these are good things, these are righteous things, practices, lifestyles, beliefs. We see it in our nation right now. And the devil's been very skillful at bringing this, working incrementally over a hundred years or so in our nation to change our mindset as a people from things that we believed, hands down, were ungodly, were evil, were sinful. But the devil, getting a little bit of a foothold here and there, being able to persuade some people who became a little bit influential to begin with, but then became more and more influential, even though they may be in the small minority population-wise, but our culture listens to them. And so they have been very, very successful in reshaping our cultural mindset. And so now, a whole lot of practices, a whole lot of things, a whole lot of lifestyles that we understood were ungodly, were unrighteous, were sinful, are now considered to be righteous and even godly by a whole lot of people. And if you stand up and say, no, those things have always been wrong, then you are not just challenged, but you're hated by many of those, and you're criticized and maybe even destroyed as far as your life's work is concerned because the proponents shout loud. Even if they are still the minority population-wise, they're very intimidating and they are in positions of influence. How sad that is, how quickly mankind can change. And so here, in, and this is a classic example, in Judges chapter 2, the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen the great works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. So they were there during the times 
when God was, was performing these miracles, perhaps going back as far as the crossing of the Red Sea, certainly part of the wilderness wandering times when God was feeding the people miraculously day in and day out, they saw God's mighty powers being worked to bless the people of Israel. Verse 8, now Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was 110 years old. So he lived a long life from a physical perspective, but we all die until the Lord comes again. Verse 9 says, and they buried him within the border of his, of his inheritance at Timnatheres in the mountains of Ephraim on the north side of Mount Gaash. When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, notice this. So we're talking about one generation beyond Joshua. 30, 40 years probably, something like that. When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know God nor the work which he had done for Israel. They weren't there at the crossing of the Red Sea. These are new, new children growing up to become adults. They were not there during the wilderness wanderings. They did not experience the feeding through the manna and the quails on an ongoing basis. They were not there to see that their, during 40 years of wandering in the wilderness that their clothes never wore out. Probably, they were not there during those battles of conquest. <clears throat> and so the text says, they did not know the Lord, nor the works which he had done for Israel. Now, where does the responsibility for their not knowing God and not knowing God's power that he blessed Israel through on a continual basis for all of those decades. I think we have to come back to the parents and the grandparents. They did not follow through with God's instruction to continually teach their children about God and teach their children God's ways. They came up, I, I think, we look and we say, for the most part, by and large, they came up short. They came up short. We go back to De Deuteronomy chapter 6, and as they were on the eastern bank of the Jordan River, ready to cross into the promised land and begin the conquest, Moses was telling them, verse 4, Deuteronomy chapter 6, Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. So there are no idols that are gods. Those are just statues again, images. They're nothing. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. Now notice this, verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. In other words, you teach your children about God, 
his ways, his blessings, as you have the opportunity all day long. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And that was not the last time Moses, God through Moses, instructed the Israelites along these lines. Be diligent to teach your children about God. Generation after generation after generation after generation. But here, within one generation, after Joshua dies, another generation rises up, born, comes into adulthood, who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. Well, where were the parents teaching them diligently, day in and day out, throughout the day, about God and his blessings? Verse 11 goes on and says, Then the children of Israel, and notice how things change so rapidly. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. The Baals? Idols. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt, and they followed other gods, lowercase g, from among the gods of the people who were all around them, and they bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. They allowed those idol-worshiping people to stay in parts of the land and they became used to their gods, intrigued with those idols, and began worshiping them. And they thereby provoked the Lord to anger. They forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. The anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. So he delivered them into the hands of plunderers who despoiled them, and he sold them into the hands of their enemies all around, so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. God gave them victory over enemy after enemy after enemy after enemy, but now God took away his delivering power from them in those situations, and they were falling to their enemies around them. They were being put into subjection. Wherever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for calamity, as the Lord had said, and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were greatly distressed. Huh. Didn't pay attention, did they? Didn't keep teaching emphatically enough their children as they were growing up. Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges who delivered them out of the hands of those who plundered them. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but they played the harlot with other gods. The harlot, we're talking about basically boiled down prostitution, going after other gods, and bowed down to them. They turned quickly from the way in which their fathers walked in obeying the commandments of the Lord. They did not do so. They became disobedient to God. What is happening in our country right now? The very same thing. Polls keep telling us that smaller and smaller percentages of people in our nation, and focusing, I think, primarily upon the younger generations, and I'm talking about from, say, 
40 years old and down, do not necessarily believe in God. And if they still have some belief in God, they do not necessarily believe in Christianity or the church or that they need to be faithful on a diligent basis. And when the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord moved to pity by, was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who oppressed them and harassed them. And it came to pass when the judge was dead that they reverted and behaved more corruptly than their fathers. In other words, it got worse and worse as far as their faithfulness was concerned by following other gods to serve them and bow down to them. They did not cease from their own doings nor from their stubborn way. Then the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And he said, because this nation has transgressed my covenant, which I commanded their fathers and has not heeded my voice, I also will no longer drive out before them any of the nations which Joshua left when he died. Interesting. Those idol-worshiping people that were allowed to stay in the land, now they're becoming dominant enemies over the Israelites within their own land. So that through them I may test Israel whether they will keep the ways of the Lord to walk in them as their fathers kept them, or not. Therefore the Lord left those nations without driving them out immediately, nor did he deliver them into the hand of Joshua. Is it okay to be mostly obedient to God, but come up a little short? This is an example of the fallacy of that kind of reasoning. We must be totally obedient to God. We'll move on to chapter 3 next time. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for giving us accounts in your word that are there to teach us. Teach us about your love and your blessings, but also to teach us the dangers of unfaithfulness and disobedience and sinfulness. Help us to learn those, les those lessons properly and truly and to apply them faithfully to our lives, Father, we pray. Please be merciful with us, Father. Please forgive us and hear our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.